My dear chap, the chairman said authoritatively, coming to a purposeful halt at my side. What's all this about, for God's sake? He's having hallucinations, I said. The chairman's gaze flicked to my face and back to Gordon, and Gordon seriously advised him to get into the fountain because the people with white faces couldn't reach him there on account of disliking water. Do something, Tim, the chairman said. So I stepped into the fountain and took Gordon's arm. Come on, I said. If we're wet, they won't touch us. We don't have to stay in the water. Being wet is enough. Is it? Gordon said. Did they tell you? Yes, they did. They won't touch anyone who's wet. Oh. All right, if you're sure. Yes, I'm sure. He nodded understandingly, and with only slight pressure from my arm, took two sensible-seeming paces through the water and stepped over the knee-high coping onto the paving slabs of the forecourt. I held on to him firmly and hoped to heaven that the people with white faces would keep their distance, and although Gordon looked around apprehensively, it appeared that they were not so far trying to abduct him. The chairman's expression of concern was deep and genuine, as he and Gordon were firm and long-time friends. Except in appearance, they were much alike, essentially clever, intuitive, and with creative imaginations. Each, in normal circumstances, had a manner of speaking that expressed even the toughest commands in gentle politeness. And both had a visible appetite for their occupation. They were both in their fifties, both at the top of their powers, both comfortably rich. Gordon dripped onto the paving stones. I think, the chairman said, casting a glance at the inhabited windows, that we should go indoors, into the boardroom, perhaps. Come along, Gordon. He took Gordon Michaels by his other sodden sleeve, and between us, one of the steadiest banking brains in London walked obediently in its disturbing fog. The people with white faces, I said as we steered a calm course across the marble entrance hall between clearly human open-mouthed watchers. Are they coming with us? Of course, Gordon said. It was obvious also that some of them came up in the elevator with us. Gordon watched them dubiously all the time. The others, as we gathered from his reluctance to step out into the top-floor hallway, were waiting for our arrival. It's all right, I said to Gordon encouragingly. Don't forget, we're still wet. Henry isn't, he said, anxiously eyeing the chairman. We're all together, I said. It'll be all right. Gordon looked doubtful, but finally allowed himself to be drawn from the elevator between his supporters. The white faces apparently parted before us to let us through. The chairman's personal assistant came hurrying along the corridor, but the chairman waved him conclusively to stop and said not to let anyone disturb us in the boardroom until he rang the bell. And Gordon and I, in our wet shoes, slushed across the deep-piled green carpet to the long, glossy mahogany boardroom table. Gordon consented to sit in one of the comfortable leather armchairs that surrounded it, with me and the chairman alongside, and this time it was the chairman who asked if the people with white faces were still there. Of course, Gordon said, looking around. They're sitting in all the chairs around the table, and standing behind them. Dozens of them. Surely you can see them. What are they wearing? the chairman asked.
Gordon looked at him in puzzlement, but answered simply enough. White suits, of course, with black buttons down the front, three big black buttons. All of them? the chairman asked. All the same? Oh, yes, of course. Clowns, I exclaimed. What? White-faced clowns. Oh, no, Gordon said. They're not clowns. They're not funny. White-faced clowns are sad. Gordon looked troubled and wary and kept a good eye on his visitations. What's best to do? wondered the chairman, but he was talking principally to himself. To me, directly after a pause, he said, I think we should take him home. He's clearly not violent, and I see no benefit in calling in a doctor here, whom we don't know. I'll ring Judith and warn her, poor girl. I'll drive him in my car, as I'm perhaps the only one who knows exactly where he lives.